0: Chapter 1 of The Beautiful Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Beautiful Lady by Booth Tarkington. Chapter 1 Nothing could have been more painful to my sensitiveness than to occupy myself confused with blushes at the centre of the whole world as a living advertisement of the least amusing ballet in paris to be the day's sensation of the boulevards one must possess an eccentricity of appearance conceived by nothing short of genius and my misfortunes had reduced me to present such to all eyes seeking mirth It was not that I was one of those people in uniform who carry placards and strange figures upon their backs, nor that my coat was of rags. On the contrary, my whole costume was delicately rich and well-chosen, of soft grey and fine linen, such as you see worn by a marquis at the Passage at Auteuil, according well with my usual air and countenance, sometimes esteemed to resemble my father's, which were not wanting in distinction to add to this my duties were not exhausting to the body i was required only to sit without a hat from 10 of the morning to midday and from 4 until 7 in the afternoon at one of the small tables under the awning of the cafe de la paix at the corner of the place de la that is to say the center of the inhabited world in the morning i drank my coffee hot in the cup in the afternoon I sipped it cold in the glass. I spoke to no one, not a glance, or a gesture of mine passed to attract notice. Yet I was the center of that center of the world. All day the crowd surrounded me, laughing loudly, all the voyous making those jokes for which I found no repartee. The pavement was sometimes blocked, the passing coachmen stood up in their boxes to look over at me, Small infants were elevated on shoulders to behold me. Not the gravest or most sorrowful came by without stopping to gaze at me and go away with rejoicing faces. The boulevards rang to their laughter. All Paris laughed. For seven days I sat there at the appointed times, meeting the eye of nobody, and lifting my coffee with fingers which trembled with embarrassment at this too great conspicuosity those mournful hours passed one by the year, while the idling bourgeois and the travellers made ridicule, and the rabble exhausted all effort to draw plays of wit from me. I have told you that I carried no placard, that my costume was elegant, my demeanour modest in all degree. How, then, this excitement, would be your disposition to inquire, why this sensation?' it is very simple my hair had been shaved off all over my ears leaving only a little above the back of the neck to give an appearance of far-reaching baldness and on my head was painted in ah so brilliant letters of distinctness théâtre folie rouge revue des pantins tous les soirs such was the necessity to which i was at that time reduced one has heard that the north americans invent the most singular advertising but i will not believe they surpass the parisian myself i say i cannot express my sufferings under the notation of the crowds that moved about the café de la paix the french are a terrible people when they laugh sincerely it is not so much the amusing things which cause them amusement it is often the strange those contrasts which contain something horrible, and when they laugh there is too frequently some person who is uncomfortable or wicked. I am glad that I was born not a Frenchman. I should regret to be native to a country where they invent such things as I was doing in the Place de l'Opera. for, as I tell you, the idea was not mine. As I sat, with my eyes drooping before the gaze of my terrible and applauding audiences, How I mentally formed cursing words against the day, when my misfortunes led me to apply at the Théâtre Folie Rouge for work. I had expected an audition, and a role of comedy in the review, for, perhaps lacking any experience of the stage, I am a Neapolitan by birth, though a resident of the continent at large, since the age of fifteen. All Neapolitans can act. All are actors. Comedians of the greatest, as every traveler is cognizant. There is a thing in the air of our beautiful slopes which makes the people of a great instinctive musicalness and deceptiveness with passions like those burning in the old mountain we have there. They are ready to play, to sing, or to explode, yet, imitating that amusing Vesuvio, they never do this last when you are in expectancy, or, as a spectator, hopeful of it. How could any person wonder, then, that I, finding myself suddenly destitute in Paris, should apply at the theatres? one after another i saw myself no farther than the director's door until having had no more to eat the day preceding than three green almonds which i took from a cart while the good female was not looking i reached the folie rouge here i was astonished to find a polite reception from the director it eventuated that they wished for a person appearing like myself a person whom they would outfit with clothes of quality in all parts whose external presented a gentleman of the great world, not merely of one the gallant Uomini, but who would impart an air to a table at a cafe where he might sit and partake. The contrast of this with the emplacement of the establishment on his bald head-top was to be the success of the idea. It was plain that I had no baldness, my hair being very thick, and I but twenty-four years of age, when it was explained that my hair could be shaved. They asked me to accept, alas, not a part in the review, but a specialty as a sandwich-man. Knowing the English tongue as I do, I may afford the venturesomeness to play upon it a little. I asked for bread, and they offered me not a roll, but a sandwich, It must be undoubted that I possessed not the disposition to make any fun with my accomplishments during those days that I spent under the awning of the Café de la Paix. I had consented to be the advertisement in greatest desperation, and not considering what the reality would be. Having consented, honor compelled that I fulfill to the ending. Also, the costume and outfittings I wore were part of my emolument. They had been constructed for me by the finest tailor, and though I had impulses often to leap up and fight through the noisy ones about me, and run far to the open country, the very garments I wore were fetters binding me to remain and suffer. It seemed to me that the hours were spent not in the centre of a ring of human persons, but of unwell-made pantaloons and ugly skirts. Yet all of these pantaloons and skirts had such scrutinous eyes and expressions of mirth to laugh like demons at my conscious, burning, painted head, eyes which spread out, astonished at the sight of me, and peered and winked and grinned from the big wrinkles above the gaiters of Zoave, from the red breeches of the gendarme, the knickerbockers of the cyclists, the white ducks of sergent de Vie and the knees of the boulevardiers, bagged with sitting cross-legged at the little tables. I could not escape these eyes, how scornfully they twinkled at me from the spurred and glittering officer's boots, how with amaze, from the American and English trousers, both turned up and creased like folded paper, both with some dislike for each other, but for all other trousers more. It was only at such times when the mortifications to appear so greatly embarrassed became stronger than the embarrassment itself, that I could by will-power force my head to a straight construction and look out upon my spectators firmly. On the second day of my ordeal, so facing the laughers, I found myself facing straight into the monocle of my half-brother and ill-wisher, Prince Caravaccioli. At this, my agitation was sudden and very great, for there was no one I wished to prevent perceiving my condition more than that old Antonio Caravicioli. I had not known that he was in Paris, but I could have no doubt it was himself. The monocle, the handsome nose, the toupee, the yellow skin, the dyed black mustache, the splendid height, it was indeed Caravicioli. He was costumed for the automobile, and threw but one glance at me as he crossed the pavement to his car which was in waiting. There was no change, not of the faintest, in that frosted tragic mask of a countenance, and I was glad to think that he had not recognized me. And yet, how strange that I should care, since all his life he had declined to recognize me as what I was ah i should have been glad to shout his age his dyes his artificialities to all the crowd so to touch him where it would most pain him for was he not the vainest man in the whole world how well i knew his vulnerable point the monstrous depth of his vanity in that pretence of youth which he preserved through superhuman pains and a genius of a valet most excellently I had much to pay Antonio for myself, more for my father, most for my mother. This was why, that last of the world I would have wished, that old fortune-hunter to know, how far I had been reduced. Then I rejoiced about that change which my unreal baldness produced in me, giving me a look of forty years instead of twenty-four, so that my oldest friend must take at least three stairs to know me also my costume would disguise me from the few acquaintances i had in paris if they chanced to cross the seine as they had only seen me in the shabbiest while at my last meeting with antonio i had been as fine in the coat as now yet my encouragement was not so joyful that my gaze lifted often on the very last day in the afternoon when my observances were most and noisiest I lifted my eyes but once during the final half-hour, but such a one that was. The edge of that beautiful gray pongee skirt came upon the lid of my lowered eyelid, like a cool shadow over hot sand. A sergeant had just made many of the people move away, so there remained only a thin ring of the laughing pantaloons about me, when this divine skirt presented its apparition to me a pair of north american trousers accompanied it turned up to show the ankle bones of a rich pair of stockings neat enthusiastic and humorous i judged them to be for as one may discover my only amusement during my martyrdom if this misery can be said to possess such alleviatings had been the study of feet pantaloons and skirts The trousers in this case detained my observation no time. They were but the darkest corner of the chioscuro of a Rembrandt. The mellow glow of gold was all across the grey skirt. How shall I explain myself? How make myself understood? Shall I be thought sentimentalistic or but mad when I declare that my first sight of the grey pongee skirt caused me a thrill of excitation, of tenderness, and oh i me of self-consciousness more acute than all my former mortifications it was so very different from all other skirts that had shown themselves to me those sad days and you may understand that though the pantaloons far outnumbered the skirts many hundreds of the latter had also been objects of my gloomy observation this skirt so unlike those which had passed presented at once the qualifications of its superiority. It had been constructed by an artist, and it was worn by a lady. It did not pine, it did not droop, there was no more an atom of hanging too much than that was a portion inflated by flamboyancy. It did not assert itself, it bore notice without seeking it. Plain, but exquisite, it was that great rarity, goodness made charming, the peregrination of the american trousers suddenly stopped as they caught sight of me and that precious skirt paused precisely in opposition to my little table i heard a voice that to which the skirt pertained it spoke the english but not in the manner of the inhabitants of london who seemed to sing undistinguishably in their talking although they are comprehensible to each other To an Italian it seems that many North Americans and English seek too often the assistance of the nose in talking, though in different manners, each equally unagreeable to our ears. The intelligent among our Lazzaroni of Naples, who beg from tourists, imitate this with the purpose of reminding the generous traveler of his home in such a way to soften his heart but there is some difference the italian the frenchman or german who learns english sometimes misunderstands the american the englishman he sometimes understands this voice that spoke was north american ah what a voice sweet as the mandolins of sorrento clear as the bells of capri To hear it was like coming upon sight of the almond blossoms of Sicily for the first time, or the tulip-fields of Holland. Never before was such a voice. Why did you stop, Rufus? it said. Look, replied the American trousers, so that I knew the pongee lady had not observed me of herself instantaneously there was an exclamation and a pretty grey parasol closed fell at my feet it was not the pleasantest to be an object which causes people to be startled when they behold you but i blessed the agitation of this lady for what caused her parasol to fall from her hand was a start of pity ah she cried the poor man she had perceived that i was a gentleman I bent myself forward and lifted the parasol, though not my eyes I could not have looked up into the face above me to be Caesar. Two hands came down into the circle of my observation. One of these was that, belonging to the trousers, thin, long, and white. The other was the grey-gloved hand of the lady, and never had I seen such a hand, the hand of an angel in a suede glove, as the grey skirt was the mantle of a saint made by Doucet. I speak of saints and angels, and to the large world these may sound like cold words. It is only in Italy where some people are found to adore them still. I lifted the parasol toward that glove, as I would have moved to set a candle on an altar. Then, at a thought, I placed it not in the glove, but in the thin hand of the gentleman at the same time the voice of the lady spoke to me i was to have the joy of remembering that this voice had spoken four words to me je vous remercie monsieur it said pas de quoi i murmured the american trousers in a loud tone made reference in the idiom to my miserable head did you ever see anything to beat it The beautiful voice answered, and by the gentleness of her sorrow for me I knew she had no thought that I might understand. Come away, it is too pitiful. Then the grey skirt and the little round-toed shoes beneath it passed from my sight, quickly hidden from me by the increasing crowd. Yet I heard the voice a moment more, but fragmentarily. Don't you see how ashamed he is, how he must have been starving before he did that, or that someone dependent on him needed... I caught no more, but the sweetness that this beautiful lady understood, and felt for the poor absurd wretch, was so great that I could have wept. I had not seen her face, I had not looked up, even when she went... Who is she? cried a scoundrel voyou, just as she turned. Madame of the parasol, a friend of Monsieur of the ornamented head. No, it is the first lady in waiting to his wife, Madame la Duchesse. Answered a second. She has been sent with an equerry to demand of Monseigneur if he does not wish a little sculpture upon his dome, as well as the colored decorations. Tis true, my ancient. Another asked of me. I made no repartee, continuing to sit with my chin dependent upon my cravat, but with things not the same in my heart as formerly to the arrival of that grey pangie, the grey glove, and the beautiful voice. Since King Charles the Mad, in Paris no one has been completely free from lunacy while the springtime is happening. There is something in the sun and the banks of the Seine the parisians drink sweet and fruity champagne because the good wines are already in their veins these parisians are born intoxicated and remain so it is not fair play to require them to be like other human people Their deepest feeling is for the arts, and, as everyone had declared, they are farceurs in their tragedies, tragic in their comedies. They prepare the last epigram in the tumbril. They drown themselves with enthusiasm about the alliance with Russia. In death they are witty, in war they have poetic spasms, in love they are mad. The strangest of all this is that it is not only the Parisians who are the insane ones in Paris, the visitors are none of them in behavior as elsewhere. You have only to go there to become as lunatic as the rest. Many travelers, when they have departed, remember the events they have caused there, as a person remembers in the morning what he has said and thought in the moonlight of the night." in paris it is moonlight even in the morning and in paris one falls in love even more strangely than by moonlight it is a place of glimpses a veil fluttering from a motor-car a little lace handkerchief fallen from a victoria a figure crossing a lighted window a black hat vanishing in the distance of the avenues of the tuileries a young man writes a ballade and dreams over a bit of lace was i not then one of the least extravagant of this mad people men have fallen in love with photographs those greatest of liars was i so wild then to adore this grey skirt this small shoe this divine glove the golden honey voice of all in paris the only one to pity and to understand even to love the mystery of that lady and to build my dreams upon it to love all the more because of the mystery Mystery is the last word and the completing charm to a young man's passion. Few sonnets have been written to wives whose matrimony is more than five years of age. Is it not so? Chapter one.